First Samuel chapter 16 this morning. First Samuel chapter 16. We started last week a series. I don't know how long we'll be in it. We'll leave that up to the Lord. But we started last week a series looking at the life of David. Just some various things from the life of David. And we're going to continue that today. Last week we learned about David's being anointed as king. And this week we're going to pick up right after that. Uh, in verse number 14. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Love the sound of rustling Bibles. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war prudent in speech and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son, David, who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for the Word of God. And Lord, even when we come to interesting passages like this, we're so thankful that there is truth here that's that's helpful to us in so many ways. I, I pray today, Lord, that you'll just speak to us from this passage. Fill me with your Spirit, Lord. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We pray today that the Holy Spirit would fill me and uh, uh, that I might teach. And I might teach practically and accurately and rightly. Uh, protect me, Lord, from saying anything I ought not. Help me to be bold to say what, what I ought. And uh, just use, use me today for that purpose. And I pray that all of us today would be filled with your Spirit to hear. That, Lord God, we might hear the Word of God, the message that you have for us today. We might accept it as such. And we might be changed by it. Have your way in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first came to this particular passage and read especially that first verse there, verse number 14, I was highly tempted to skip this particular passage and move right on into chapter 17 because chapter 17 is definitely one of the funner chapters about David when we talk about his battle with Goliath. But the Lord got hold of my heart over that. You can't skip parts of the Bible. And so I, I thought about it and I read it some more. And I came to realize there's a lot of good things here in this passage that are very helpful to us. And so uh, we're going to give it a shot anyway and just continue down through there. I, I think it would be helpful if we kind of set some of the, uh, the background so that we understand what's going on here. Why, in verse number 14, it says the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. What did he do that caused uh, God to be displeased with him. And now let me let me paraphrase a little bit from uh, a book that I have on the life of David uh, that might help us to see just what had happened there. Uh, verse number 14 does say the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. 
or a distressing spirit in our New King James. This, uh, this fellow I'm quoting said, Exceedingly solemn is this, the more so when we consider that which precedes it. If we were to go back to 1 Samuel 15, we would see that the Lord had, through Samuel, given a definite commission unto Saul to utterly destroy Amalek and all that they had. Amalek being a nation that God was judging. And God told Saul, I'm going to use you to judge that nation. I want you to destroy them. Kill King Agag, every man, woman, and child. Keep nothing for yourself, not anything. Saul said, okay, I will do that. But instead of so doing, Saul compromised. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse number 9, we read that Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. God sent Samuel, his prophet, to face uh, Saul about this. And when he was faced by Samuel, the king's excuse was, in verse number 15, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. It wasn't me, God. It was the people. And, and they did it for a godly reason. They did it because they wanted to sacrifice to you. But Samuel then said, in verse number 22, Hath the Lord has great delights in burnt offerings and sacrifices, and as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. Saul had openly defied the Lord by deliberately disobeying his plain commandment, and wherefore the prophet said, Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. And then we come to our passage, the sequel to that event, when we read that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. So with that understanding of what led up to this, let's think about this for a few minutes. Let's talk about this passage just for a few minutes. In the first half of chapter 16, we saw that when God had rejected David, or when God had rejected Saul, he then went and anointed. He sent Samuel, and he anointed David to be king. He was just a young man at the time. We said last week he might have been as young as 10, or maybe 15 years old at the time. And now we come to the second half, and we see God beginning to prepare David for life in the palace. Now, there's all kinds of things that we could talk about here. There's some interesting topics that jumped out of here. Those of you who are musicians in the room, no doubt probably think we ought to talk about music because there is some interesting things about music here. How is it that music was able to soothe the distressing spirit from the Lord that was upon Saul? It's an interesting topic. We could talk about the importance of testimony. How did anybody know that David... Now, remember where David was. Now, David was in the midst of the fields with his sheep. And yet somebody said, wait a minute... I know about this fellow David, who is a mighty man of valor. He's a warrior. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great God. How did he know that? Obviously, David had a testimony that went far beyond the sheepfold, and somebody somewhere had heard about it. We've talked a lot about the importance of testimony and how the way we live and, and our personal testimony is such an influence to other people. We could talk about that. That's an important thing this morning. We could also talk about the importance of doing your best where you are. Blooming where you're planted, we might say. David was in the midst of the sheepfold, and yet God, when he, when he was faithful there, plucked him from there and moved him to the palace. When he was faithful to that which he had been assigned, God gave him other opportunities. And, and there's all kinds of things we could think about there. That's a wonderful truth for us to meditate on. 
Those are all things we could talk about if we had time, and I, 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 I would suggest that you all think about them on your own. Maybe spend some time reading and just thinking through some of those issues, because they are good. But I don't think they're the main topic of the passage, and because I want to be quick this morning, uh, we're not going to spend any time on those. We're going, to, we're going to talk about something that I think is the main topic here today. And the way I'd like to do it is I'd like to spend some time on, on, the, on two different thoughts. Uh, the first thought is that some things are different between the Old Testament and the New. That's the first thought. And the second thought is, some things are not different. So, bear with me, and you'll see what I mean by that. Think about that first one. Some things are different between the Old and the New Testament. Now, let's go back to verse number 14. And how many of you would be honest with me this morning and then say with an uplifted hand that that verse troubles you? Let's read it again. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul... And a distressing spirit, most of your Bibles probably say evil spirit, from the Lord troubled him. Does that verse bother anybody? How many of you would say it bothers you? Thank you, Logan. I'm glad that there's somebody honest that it bothers you. Yes, yes, I see that hand. The fact is, we we have to ask ourselves as Christians, we have to wonder, do we not, if what happened to Saul here could happen to us, can it? Can the Holy Spirit of God be taken away from us as it was taken away from Saul, obviously, in this verse? As a believer, can I lose the Holy Spirit as he did? As we continue in our study of David, we're going to eventually come to a day when David did not behave as a good guy. Here we see David... At the very beginning, we see nothing but but praise and good things being said about David. But there's going to come a day when just as high as David is now, David is going to fall just as far. And there's going to come a day when we're going to see this his infamous sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. And then immediately after that, we're going to see his equally famous prayer of repentance and confession. And we'll have to look at Psalm 51. And when we look at Psalm 51, we'll have to look at verse 10. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And here's David's prayer. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Is that something that we as Christians need to be concerned about? New Testament Christians. Can God take his Holy Spirit from us? Would he? Will he? And I want to suggest this morning that the answer is no. The answer is no, because this is one of those things that's different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is different. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people to enable them or to empower them or to equip them for a particular ministry. In Saul's case, the Holy Spirit had come upon him to enable him as the king of Israel. But that is not the case in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells us. It's different. Now, in the Old Testament, he came upon people. A great example of how the the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament is Samson. We can look at any example, but Samson's a good one. Samson, if you will recall, was one of the judges in, in in the book of Judges. And we always think of Samson because of all the great feats of strength that he accomplished. You remember one time Samson caught 300 foxes. Now, how does any human being catch 300 foxes? I don't know how he did that, but he caught 300 foxes. And then if that wasn't enough of an amazing thing, he took those 300 foxes and he tied their tails together and lit brands of fire and stuck on their tails and set them loose in a field. I have no idea how he did that. That's one people seldom talk about, but I think it's one of his greatest feats of strength. How did Samson do that? 
And people were astonished to think about it. One day, Samson was trapped by the enemies of God in a city. And to escape, he just simply grabbed the gates of the city, ripped them out of the wall of the, out of the, out of the, the wall that surrounded the city, and carried them to the top of the hill and dropped them off there. One time, the enemies of God surrounded him, so he picked up a bone off of the ground, a jawbone of a donkey. He picked it up, and he whooped them. I don't know how many, how many people did he kill with that jawbone. I can't remember. Hundreds of people he killed with that jawbone of a, of a donkey. And so Samson did all these things. But you know, the thing that the Bible tells us as we read about it in Judges over and over and over again, every time you read about one of those things, it'll say, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and off he went. I heard a sermon one time. We always like to think of Samson as some great big Hulk Hogan type guy. We always like to think of Samson as Arnold Schwarzenegger or some huge person that we would just look at him, and he obviously has rippling muscles and all that sort of thing. But this particular pastor said, that he was convinced that Samson was probably some puny pipsqueak of a guy, that everybody would look at him and say, how in the world could he accomplish what he's accomplishing? Because it was the Holy Spirit of God. That when the Holy Spirit of God went upon him, he was invincible. But you know, there came a time. There came a time in Samson's life when he sinned. He gave it up to, to Delilah, what his source of his strength was. He he, uh, he told her about it, and she betrayed him, and she carved off all of his hair, and the, the Lord left him. Judges chapter 16 says, the Philist- she, said, she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And that's what had happened to Saul. The Holy Spirit had been taken from him. That empowering had been taken from him. That coming upon him for his uh, equipping for his servant was gone. And it was gone forever. Later on, chapter 18, we read that uh, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. But see, it doesn't happen that way in the New Testament. It can't happen that way with us. Because in the New Testament, he indwells all who believe. Jesus explained the difference in John chapter 14 when he said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for, and get this part, he dwells with you. That's the way it is now, he said. But he will be in you. At the Old Testament time, he said, he's with you. In the New Testament, he will be in you. David was invested by the Spirit. As David was invested by the Spirit, that same Spirit left Saul. And that's evidence of the fact that the presence or absence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament says nothing about salvation. But only that his power worked in those whom God selected for service. There's a lot more we could say about this. But the fact is we don't need to fear losing the Holy Spirit as they did. We can quench the Spirit of God as Christians. We can have so much dirt in our life that just like you can quench a fire by throwing dirt on it, we can quench the influence of the Spirit of God in our life. But he doesn't leave us. We can grieve the Spirit of God. That's an astonishing thing, isn't it? We can hurt the Spirit of God. But he does not leave us. We can get out of step with the Spirit of God. We cannot be filled with the Spirit of God. We can allow ourselves to not be under His influence as believers, but nonetheless, He will never leave us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. A temporary empowering in the New Testament, He indwells those who believe. And so we need not fear that. So don't be troubled by verse number 14. 
But some things in this passage that I see here are exactly the same between the Old Testament and the New. Some things that applied here also apply to us. Let me just mention a few of them here today because I think there's some interesting things here. I think, for example, we see the providence of God in this passage. And the providence of God that worked in the life of David also works in the lives of you and me. The providence of God. Verse number 7, Saul said, find me somebody who could help me. Verse number 18, one of his servants answered and said, look, I have seen this son of Jesse. His name is David. Verse number 19, Saul said, send me your son David who's with the sheep. And verse number 21, so David came to Saul and stood before him and became his armor bearer. Do you not see the amazing providence of God in that? God, in the earlier passages of this of this chapter, has anointed David to be king. And now all of a sudden, in this miraculous, amazing way, all of a sudden, David finds himself in the palace of the king. The preparation that he needed. He, he was a simple shepherd. He didn't know how to be a king. He didn't know what any of that meant. And so here is God now, putting him right in the place where he needs to be, that he might accomplish these things. Can you not see God working? Can you not see the amazing providence of God? Probably many of you have experienced similar things. You've probably experienced the providence of God. God putting you in just the right place where you need to be. Teaching you just the right thing at just the right moment so that you might accomplish just what he wants you to do. Bear with me for a minute as I share a personal illustration. I hate, I hate to give personal illustrations, so let me share one with you because this one fits here. There was a time when I was, uh, we were married, but uh, barely. We hadn't been married very long. And I was uh, attending Kent State University here in here. And I was also at that time working a, a job for a company called Electronic Data Systems in Akron. During those days, I began to feel the Lord stirring in my heart. And, 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 and I was convinced that the Lord wanted me to go off to uh, stop Kent State and transfer to some Bible college and, and go off and study for ministry. I was really working on that. I was struggling with that decision at that particular time. And I talked to my pastor... Gary Price. I talked to my pastor at the time, and he recommended a school called Midwestern Baptist College. Now, I don't know that I'd recommend Midwestern Baptist College these days, but back then, it was a good school. And it was the place that I felt the Lord was leading me to go. It was in a town called Pontiac, Michigan. Well, I was struggling with that decision. Couldn't figure out what to do. And one day, my boss called me in, and he said, my boss at Electronic Data Systems, and he said, uh, we're, our, our assignment here is wrapping up, and you're going to have to find someplace else for you to go. You're probably going to have to be transferred somewhere. And I said, okay. So we, we thought about that and prayed about that and weren't sure what was going to happen. And we were a little bit distressed about that. And one day he called me in and he said, uh, I found an assignment for you, but it means you're going to have to move. You're going to have to move a little ways away. I said, where am I going to have to move? And he said, Pontiac, Michigan. <laughs> now, some people would say that was a coincidence. That was not a coincidence. That was the providence of God working to get me just where he wanted me to be. Right where he wanted me to be there. To do just what he wanted done. God works the same way today as he worked in the life of David. Arthur W. Pink said about, about David here, he said, God opened the door into the palace without David having to force or even so much as talk upon it. It's amazing, is it not? I'm reminded of that verse that we quote so often. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. And uh, he'll direct your paths. So the providence of God is one thing. I, I see another 
truth here that applies same in the Old Testament as in the New. And that is this, the fact that the central issues of life are spiritual. The central issues of life are spiritual. Look again at verse number 14. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Verse 15. It's referred to again, a distressing spirit from God. Verse 16, again, when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, all the way down to verse 23, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, David would take a harp and play it with his hand, and then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Probably in your Bible say evil spirit. New King James says distressing. You know, I consult a lot of different sources when I'm preparing a message. And that's usually a very positive experience and a good thing. I I get a lot out of that. But every once in a while, I'll pick up somebody's comments on a particular passage. And I'll think, this guy is nuts and he's completely missed the mark and I want to fling it across the room. Well, I came across one of those this time, but it was on my iPad, so I couldn't fling it across the room. But, But listen to this. I was very troubled by this comment the, the, the book is called The Teacher's Commentary. But here's what this fellow said about it. He said, the evil spirit from the Lord, which came upon Saul in verse 14, represents the ancient Israelite view of God's sovereignty. All things, even evil, were attributed to him. This is the part that bugged me right here. He said, today, we would describe Saul's condition as a mental illness. Period. Why? Why? Why did did he say that? Why do we have to water things down? Why can't we just go with what the Bible says? The Bible calls it here a spiritual condition. Why would we say it was anything else? And I'm convinced, folks, much of what we call mental illness today is spiritual in nature, or at least has a clearly spiritual basis to the problem. And if that's the case, let's call it. A couple thoughts come to my mind. One of them is this. The Holy Spirit knows the difference between a mental condition and a spiritual condition. And as a matter of fact, I can think of at least one place in the Bible where they're clearly explained. Remember the story of the maniac of Gadara? Let's flip over there. Because I want you to see this. This is important. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Let's just notice this story. I'll read fast because we're... We're going to run out of time, and I know you're hungry. Mark chapter 5, let's begin in verse number 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. What's the matter with the guy? He's got a spiritual problem. Do you see that there? He had an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, so all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about two thousand. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. 
So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed, and notice this phrase, in his right mind, and they were afraid. The fact is, verse number two tells me his problem was an unclean spirit. The symptom was a messed up mind. The the mental condition that he was going through was a symptom of an underlying spiritual condition. And so even if we want to call Saul's condition here a mental illness, as the teacher's commentary wants to do, we have to recognize it had its roots in a spiritual problem. That was his problem. Mental illness was a symptom. Spiritual problem was the cause. The fact is, what Saul needed was to get right with God. That's what Saul needed. And that brings me to another observation, which is common to today, the same between the Old Testament and the New, and that is this. A common temptation for the carnal believer is to seek the aid of other carnal men rather than God. Let me repeat that one. A common temptation for the carnal believer is to seek the aid of other carnal men rather than God. Now, everybody knew that Saul had a spiritual problem. If you doubt that, look again at verse number 15. Verse number 15 tells me that everybody knew that he had a spiritual problem. Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Not, there's something wrong with your mind, Saul. Not, you're going through depression, Saul. No, there's a distressing spirit from God troubling you. They knew what his problem was. It was spiritual. Everybody knew he needed help. But the help they suggested could not help. I wonder, and don't you wonder, why not a single one of them said to him, Saul, why don't we pray? Where is that? A spiritual problem, not a single one of them said it. Not a single one of them said, the man you need to talk to is Samuel. Nobody said that. They didn't say that. Not a single one of them said, let's go to the word of God and see what it might have to say Why? And I think if we could answer that, we could also answer why it is that so many believers today, when confronted with issues like this, rather than seek the Lord, or rather than turn to His Word, or rather than go to their knees in prayer, will turn to worldly sources, psychology, lost friends and acquaintances, bookshelves filled with the philosophies of men. Sadly, far too many Christians will seek out a worldly lost psychologist and consider the issue completely divorced from the matter of their relationship with God. Verse 16, let our master seek out a man. That's what happens too much of the time. And it's the best the world can do. And it's totally useless. In Saul's case, and in the case of many today, that solution simply treats the symptoms rather than the disease. Matthew Matthew Henry said, How much better friends had they been to him if they had advised him, since the evil spirit was from the Lord, to make his peace with God through true repentance, to send for Samuel, to pray with him, to intercede with God for him. Then might he not only have had some present relief, but the good spirit would have returned. Warren Wiersbe said, How sad that Saul's servants dealt with the symptoms and not with the causes for music could never change Saul's sinful heart. The servants should have prayed for Saul to get right with God. 
Now, I'm sure some folks will go out of here today and they'll say, you know, that crazy preacher, he's saying you ought not to go to psychologists. And I'm not saying that, and so if you go out of here and say that, you're a liar. I'm not saying that. It's not it at all. But I will say this, and I will say it without apology. If you're going to go to a psychologist, it's thinking, well, better be a Christian one. It better be somebody who's a born-again believer who understands that these things have a spiritual component. Because when we, when we divorce ourselves from that, we are missing the most important part. Well, that leads me to one final issue that I think is common between what we see in this Old Testament story and in our lives today, and that's this. And that's that the result of ignoring or rejecting the work of the Spirit in our life, it was the same then as it is now. The result's the same. However we interpret this evil spirit from the Lord that was distressing Saul, we can be clear about this. Saul's disobedience and Saul's rejection of God's will for his life had consequences. And they weren't any of them good. Bad consequences. And in every area of our lives, when we reject the will of God, when we reject the influence of the Spirit of God in our life, there are consequences. None of them are good. You see, this passage basically contrasts two kinds of hearts, doesn't it? It contrasts the carnal heart. The heart that is not listening to God. That's Saul. With the spiritual heart. The heart that is dedicated to God. The heart that is open to God. That's David. And the question has to be, why would anybody choose the former? Why wouldn't everybody choose the latter? There are consequences to rejecting. Well, and so let's bring it down. Let's, let's summarize it. Let's close it by just asking a question and thinking about how it applies to our lives. Let's, let's think about this and let's, let's get personal. What is it that we're dealing with? What is it that you're dealing with? What problem, when this thought comes out, what problem does the Lord bring to your mind? What issue in your life does the Lord bring to your mind? What is it? Because whatever it is, there are two ways to approach it. There's Saul's way, and there's David's way. There's the carnal way, or there's the spiritual way. There's the way of certain failure and loss, or there's the way of hope and grace. And so I wonder this morning, which way will you choose? Which way should we choose? Some of you this morning might be going through a season of trials and difficulties. Maybe there's just some problems in your life right now. Will you seek out a man, Saul's way? Or will you turn to and trust in the Lord, David's way? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Maybe there are some who are struggling with depression or illness or those sorts of things. And I, I would so encourage you to talk to God about it first. Before you talk to men. And then pick carefully. Only Christians. Only Christians. Only Christians who understand the spiritual source of problems. <coughs> but maybe your whole life is out of whack. Maybe right now there's a distressing spirit from the Lord. That is talking to you. And saying you are not right with God. Maybe that's the case. And maybe, maybe, that's what you need to do this morning is to get right with God. Maybe in your heart of hearts, this morning you know you're not even saved. You know this morning that you've never come to the place where, like David, you're completely and totally trusting in the Lord. Maybe you've never come to the place where you could say honestly that if you were to die today, you'd know for certain that you would go to heaven. Maybe you don't understand any of that stuff. And right now, 
that spirit is saying to you, you're not right with God. And you need to get right with God. I tend to think that's probably what the distressing spirit from the Lord was, as a matter of fact. I think it was saying in his ear over and over and over, you're not right with God. You're not right with God. You're not right with God. You know, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Two ways. Saul's way. David's way. Which would you choose? Which will you choose?